KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, we'll be talking first to singer and songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Zach Little from the band St. Seneca, and then to James, Abe, and Sam from the band Sons of Bill. And usually, at this point, I would try to draw some overarching theme that we'll be exploring during this episode, but really, this time, there is no meta theme. The songs people chose and the reasons that they chose them, they're all pretty different, which is its own kind of delight. And speaking of songs, we do have a Spotify playlist that contains all the songs from this episode. You'll find it on the This Song page because we never actually play full songs in this podcast. We only play clips, but we want to have a place for you to go to listen to any or all of the songs all the way through. And that's what the playlist is for. Let's get started with Zach Little from the band St. Seneca. They're a band from Columbus, Ohio, and we here at KTX, the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast, we're fans. We dug the record they put out in 2015 called Such Things, and when they came to town, we were psyched to have them perform a set in Studio 1A. Studio 1A is our gorgeous studio where bands can come and play, and really, it's almost more like a venue than a studio. It's got a great PA system and good monitors so that bands don't have to play with headphones on. And it's got these gigantic windows and space for like 70 people to sit and watch. Anyway, we love Studio 1A. And like I said, we were totally excited for St. Seneca to come and play there. After they were done, Jackie Fuller sat down with Zach and he told her about a song that showed him at a very young age, actually, what he wanted to do with music. So here he is, Zach Little. I think I would have to say that song that really ignited things for me in some ways is Uncle Albert on Ram by Paul McCartney. We're so sorry. I feel like it was a song that I heard when I was really young. I was just riding in the car or something, and it came on the radio, which is kind of an odd song to hear on the radios because it's so long and like has this bizarre sort of like linear arrangement. But I had never heard anything remotely like that, and I feel like it just kind of blew my mind. I had no idea what it was. I. And then later I, I thought it was like a Beatles song. So when I 
was older, I remember like looking for that song in particular, like searching like endlessly, like being like, well, which Beatles record is this song on? And then, you know, later found out that it was like from the solo record. But yeah, I, I just feel like it kind of opened my mind up to that idea of producing a song in that way that it's almost this whole like self-contained little universe just it's full of like surprises and twists and turns yeah that was a pretty big one for me and do you still go back to it oh yeah I think that that record's amazing the whole record is amazing and and like that point I feel like it's just like the apex of the whole thing and that to me feels like a song that most people know but don't know Mm -hmm. you know so what specifically is it about that song that captured you that you think maybe other people might take for granted, right? Because wouldn't you agree it's like, oh, yeah, everybody knows Uncle Albert, but it's, I can recall it in my head, but I can't. Right, you know? right. Well, it's got like the hook part at the end, the, like heads across the water, heads mm-hmm. across the sky. But it's just like, you're already so enraptured with the song by that point because it's got like the weird little kind of like psychedelic passages we're so sorry but we haven't heard a thing all day we're so sorry there's like the spoken word thing and then the horns And then, like at the end, it just like hits you with this like huge hook, and they just like repeat it over and over and over again. So I don't know. I guess it just kind of like implanted itself in my head. Did your folks listen to a lot of music? No. Well, I think that that might have been part of it too. Is that you know I was ex- definitely grew up with like music around, but I didn't have the kind of parents that were like listening to like the Grateful Dead all the time or something Mm -hmm. like that it Mm -hmm. was like pop country just radio country music all the time and that kind of stuff so so then to hear something like that like on probably the oldies like radio station was that much more radical I was probably somewhere in the neighborhood between like four and seven oh wow when I heard the song were you into music as a little kid or did that kind of open the floodgates for you no I was I always like I feel like I kind of had the impulse to write songs Uh and I sung songs and like made up songs when I was a little kid all the time from the time that I was I can remember it for four six years old or something I feel like I can definitely see in your songwriting that idea of a universe encapsulated within the few minutes of a song do you feel like Uncle Albert has sort of had a direct trajectory towards what you're doing now I think so yeah I I think that that's totally totally fair Mm -hmm. I feel like those points are fundamental to where I'm coming from with like music to the extent I even feel like maybe like within a single note you know there's a universe I think that if you were to compress all the songs ever made into like a single note that's aspirational I think I think it's there yeah did you ever try to play Uncle Albert have you ever played it no no that would be ambitious that would be ambitious yeah yeah I don't know it is a song that's produced as a recording, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there's no pretense to ever performing that thing live or whatever. It's like they made that 
thing to listen to as that recording or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I would, I don't know, maybe Paul McCartney plays it live, but it's one of those things where it, it's kind of embracing that like form mm-hmm. and that format, like making it like this special moment with these textures and sounds. And I think that that's the exciting thing about making recordings, you know, is to kind of cast off the pretense of it being this live thing and, mm-hmm. and to build something that exists on its own terms. And I feel like that song and songs like that are a big inspiration for me. Admiral Halsey, notified me He had to have a bath or he couldn't get to sea I had another look and I had a cup of tea And a butter pie Butter pie? The butter wasn't melt, so put it in the pie All right. All right. How does that translate for you when you're performing live? Like this idea of a recorded piece of music and a live piece of music getting to be their own thing. How do you navigate that when you're playing songs that you've recorded and play live? It goes both ways. I think it's like about addressing the specific song. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. some work well, literally. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's, it sounds cool to record it and let it be these people in a room creating these sounds and to try to, in whatever way that you can, document that. But then I like that you can create that world like you know like you can make it sound like these people are in this room but then all of a sudden it has like some surreal like dream twist sound that that couldn't happen live you know that's what's so exciting about that and then the flip side is that when you do those things when you extend yourself like that in the studio you're like oh how do we play this you know Mm. and that poses a whole other like series of like challenges it's just like what if we you know like run it through this modulated delay and this thing or the the synth or whatever to kind of conjure up that idea of that moment of that sound and then i think there are a lot of things you learn from that process that you then take back into the studio next time it's just like we learned how to create this sound live based on some abstract sound we made recording and then we take that into the studio and it just kind of has that feedback loop. So sometimes you can't recreate the magic and that's okay. I think that you never can. I think that like playing a song, it's literally infinite. You know what I mean? I think that there's like an infinite spectrum. It's like you're never going to be able to like play a song the way that you played it that one time Uh ever again. Uh And so I think that that's an exciting thing. You know, I think that that's something to kind of celebrate like that imminence, like that liveliness of just like being in a place and offering something and to not necessarily worry about like, does this adhere to my expectations or people's expectations, Mm -hmm. but to kind of celebrate the fact that it has its own life and it's and it's gonna exist each time you do it. And below me you can hear rare form from Saint Seneca's record such things. And we actually captured a lot of great videos from Studio 1A, so I will post links to those on the This Song page for this episode. And I loved where the conversation went, from hearing a song as a kid to talking about the infinite possibilities that a single note or a single song holds. Yes, please, more of that, please. 
Also, I was not personally aware of Uncle Albert. It made me realize how not well-versed I am in Paul McCartney's solo work and made me want to explore that work more. It's exciting. It's like I just found out a cool town existed that I get to go check out. So thanks, Zach. I want to take a quick break and ask that if you enjoyed that conversation with Zach Little, then please head to iTunes and subscribe to this song. That way you'll get next week's episode with the members of Black Pistol Fire and Aaron and Chip Adams, who run the record label Modern Outsider, delivered right to you. You can also peruse our archive and listen to folks like Ian Astbury of The Cult or Glenn Hansard talk about life-changing songs. And while you're there, we'd really love it if you would take a second and leave a rating or a review. Ratings help us so much. They not only let us know how we're doing, but they also help people find us in the vast landscape of iTunes. And seriously, all of us on the This Song team, we want as many people as possible to hear these stories. Next up, we have James, Abe, and Sam Wilson from the band Sons of Bill. And yes, they all share the same last name because they're brothers. And yes, their dad's name is Bill. They are quite literally sons of Bill. They've been making music together as a band since 2006, and their sound has evolved from straight ahead Americana to, I mean, my first instinct is to call it metaphysical American music. Their 2014 record Love and Logic is lush and psychedelic while remaining rooted in very American traditions. They came to the Austin City Limits Music Festival last year and came to the KUTX tent to do some live acoustic performances. And afterwards, they sat down with me, all three of them, to tell me about songs that blew their minds wide open. You'll hear James first, and then Abe, and then Sam. So here they are, Sons of Bill. As we got older, you know, all of us got into uh, kind of started different rock bands, but my dad was a musician, and uh, at a really early age, he used to play uh, Woody Guthrie's The Sinking of the Reuben James. Tell me what was their names, tell me what was their names, Did you have a friend on that good Reuben James. What was their names, tell me what was their names, Did you have a friend on that good Reuben James. And it used to always make my granddad cry, and so hearing my dad play that song sort of um, really helped me at a really young age kind of figure out uh, what makes a song not just pleasurable or great, but like really important. And, right. And, uh, and Woody Guthrie was always, you know, how, how all these songs have lasted throughout the years and, and um, in a really amazing way. And so that, for some reason, that song just always sticks out, and I always get a little choked up every time I play it. Well, a hundred men went down in that dark, watery grave. When that good ship went down, only forty-four were saved. Twas the last day of October, we saved the forty-four from the cold ocean waters of that cold Iceland shore. My dad used to play really early in the morning. He'd get up before all of us and he'd just play. That was his time to himself. So depending on which one of us couldn't sleep, we'd kind of just waddle downstairs and hear him playing. <laughs> I waddled. I don't know what you all did. but um, So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was. I mean, I must have been three or four years old. But 
you know, all of my all the songs my dad's played, all the the good guy always died at the end, and I think that kind of had a dramatic effect on so my young a, psyche. So you had a sense of like that a song can make you feel like loss and sadness and kind of this like cathartic release at a, like a very young age. Exactly, and tragedy, like. and and you know what makes a song tragic and beautiful and worth singing and worth passing on. So, you know, even though we all got into metal and different, you know hardcore and different things later that kind of stuck so was that something that so you went off and formed and got into like metal did you yeah for Um, a few years cool and then when you decided to come back to virginia start a band with your brothers is is that kind of where you went like back to woody guthrie back to certainly i mean certainly in certain ways you know i mean you always want to make timeless music you don't want to just have to feel the pressure to um of uh be this or that genre so we kind of and that was the cool thing about forming with brothers is we all kind of had a, each other's musical uh went on that journey together so we knew where each other was coming from so we could play music very unconceptually you know yeah you, can you could have little, a little a little, little iron whatever. maiden moments within woody guthrie songs and it <laughs> all makes sense now our mighty battleships will steam the bounding main and remember the name of that What was their names? Tell me what was their names. And did you want to kind of get into it? Because in metal, I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of like catharsis through aggression, maybe in metal. Yeah. But like, not exactly like tapping in. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but like tapping into like sadness. Yeah, and why we liked metal is because James and I were really into metal, and Abe just by proxy, you know, he heard it. So I'm not going to say anything. But it's it's kind of the ultimate form of expression with music, just because well, you get like you get like the intensity, the intensity, then you get like the virtuosity, then you get like you know the the sadness and the aggression, like you said, and the darkness. It's just, and then you get the virtuosity of like the players and singers. So that's like one. It just kind of was all encompassing for us at a young age. So yeah, I guess there is a certain amount of like. Like tragicness and just intensity, you know, Inten- and, yeah. intensity, you know, whether it's whether it's a folk song or it's a a, a metal song or a country song, it, we were we've always been drawn to intense music, you know, and uncompromisingly intense music. So, so you can, I think, you can find that no matter what kind of music you play. So now eight. Yes, thank you for asking. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say um, John Prine's late John Garfield Blues. Midnight fell on Franklin Street And the lamppost balls were broke All the life of me I could not see But I heard a brand new I still don't really know what it means, and I'm not sure that John really knows what it means, you know. And it, but it just taught me that that's okay. That that just following your instincts when you're writing a song, and if it affects you in an emotional way, even if you don't really know what it's about entirely, that following as long as you're following your instincts and it means something to you, it will mean something to someone else out there. And he's just that kind of writer that he just didn't really care about what anyone thought about his songwriting. He would make people laugh and play a stupid song and he'd play the most horribly heartbreaking song right afterwards. Right. So that really taught me a lot just about songwriting. Old man sleeps with his conscience at night 
young kid sleeps with his dream While a mentally ill sit perfectly still And live through life's in-between So are, are you a lyricist? Do you write a lot of... I do, yes. Do you write a lot of lyrics? Mm-hmm. So for you... Um, I mean, do you remember how old you were when you heard that song? You know, or was that I, another... I was kind of, I came around to, I mean, I knew a lot of his hits when I was younger, but yeah. I came I came around to his deeper cuts later on. So that was more, um, I guess, after college, really, I really got into his deeper cuts. Had you been writing music before No, I, I was, I was a late, I was a late bloomer songwriting wise. I wrote my first song when I was 25. So, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, when we started the band, I was just uh, the, the piano player, harmony singer. So it's, it's still something I'm trying to figure out every day. And, you know, it, I feel like hopefully every songwriter is trying to still search every day because otherwise, it, you know, you, you get into a rut. And you, otherwise, what's the th- point, really? There's no really? reason to do it anymore. The horses scream, the nightmares dream, and the dead men all wash you. Cause everybody's dancing Those late John guys So hearing that song though, it sounds like it freed you in a way from like it has to be narrative, it has mm-hmm. to be understandable, mm-hmm. like there is kind of a beyond words exactly and I still you know I write narrative songs and he wrote narrative songs but it just it doesn't it doesn't have to be any sort of format as long as it means something to you there's probably someone out there that's gonna feel that so when you're writing do you sometimes like a lyric will come to you and you'll be like I don't really understand you oh yeah but I keep but we are gonna keep it and those we're gonna those like... are the best ones the ones that drop out of the sky and you're like I have no idea what that means but I really like saying it it's like a gift yeah, too. sometimes it's it like is. oh I was gifted this. My, my favorite songs that I wrote it's almost like I didn't write them it's like I kind of forgot the whole process and like you tapped into something exactly. and it kind of came through exactly awesome. the crappy ones I all remember <laughs> that's a good like uh <laughs> like benchmark like the less I remember writing the song exactly the better the song is well thank you very much thank you okay and Sam you know I I just I changed my mind at the last minute I was gonna say uh I'm going to say it anyway. Waltz for Debbie by uh, the Bill Evans Trio. It was recorded live at the Village Vanguard, just this small dive jazz bar, and it's one of the most magical records, I think. And it was recorded, I think, a week before Scott LaFaro, the bass player, died. And I think it's just one of the best trios in jazz of all time. And it's just, it's open, and it's just, you know, it's based on a standard. This song's called My Foolish Heart, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's played instrumentally, and it's just... One of my favorite tracks of all time, not just in jazz, but just music. just had a magic with phrasing 
and 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 chords and the way just the way that he played and interacted with the drummer it wasn't just like how you'd normally think of like a cocktail jazz band just you know playing sort of cocktail jazz it was very 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 intense very slow very brooding but really beautiful and it just there's just a it was just one of the most magical trios in um, in all of all of jazz history and every time I probably listened to it 300 times and I never get never get tired of it and I hear new things every single time I listen to it that I didn't quite listen before Like it sounds like it makes you feel kind of like this. I don't know, almost maybe like a. This is how good it gets. Like aspiration. Yeah, I mean, just that. You know, one we're all searching for that, and that's one thing we try to do every time we play is just try to search for that magic and never really just sort of give in to that autopilot. That you know, because we've played these songs, as I'm sure Bill Evans played "My Foolish Heart" hundreds of times, but each time you just try to trick yourself into different ways of playing whether it's subtle in arrangement or your part or just Sounds as like a full goosebumps, yeah. yeah goosebumps just anything to just like keep it fresh and just to sort of you know make you excited because if it's if it's just if it's just if it's all muscle memory then it's just music for commercials you know you gotta it, like yeah. the music that I love whether it's jazz or metal or country or rock and roll whatever it's just it's all about sort of achieving those those moments that you know as a fan when you go home you want to like either write a song yourself or go you know run for congress i don't know yeah. but you know well, just yeah, that inspires yeah. you to and i think i think it's interesting that it's a live record that you're talking about because there is something about like when you're playing live and you're trying to like yeah. basically get all your strings in sync with the other people you know like if you believe in string theory like you want to be vibrating at the same frequency you want to like capture some moment and when you do you you can like like writing a song that you really like you can black out you know like you kind of it's like yeah all of a sudden you're somewhere else and you're all together and no exactly yeah. exactly and that's why i love jazz and even though jazz isn't really very popular and and i wouldn't call you know the sons of bill is definitely not a jazz band but i think we kind of bring that that jazz element where there's improvisation and there's just a high level of interaction where everybody's just really tuned in with each other so we could react at a moment's notice if James says something different or if Todd breaks into a groove, just so every show is different and it makes it exciting. Sometimes, sometimes you end up failing, but it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's easier than just sort of, okay, we're going to play to a click track and do the same song the same way every night with the same set list. Do you think it's easier because you're playing with your brothers? Like that you guys kind of know each other on a yeah, such a I think it's, deep basic level? Yeah, I mean and just just as a band we've just been together, you know, we've been just doing it a long time and evolving and uh, and uh, yeah, just just developing just a chemistry just yeah. with with these guys. I think it's just, you know, we've been doing it for a while. There is a chemistry with your brothers and a and a trust though that I think. I mean, there's a reason why brothers bands have been around forever and probably always will be just just get, getting each other on a deep level and then having that awareness and that trust on a real and not just a musical trust but like that 
that trust and that love always translates yeah. into singing and into playing. And even though we've played everything from metal to jazz, you know, and we did go and diversify so much as we got older, we, there's still that base of what we were hearing when we were so right. young. You guys kind of have the same, same formative musical experiences, that there's which always, is a there's real always that thing. to fall back on. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, you guys, thanks. I think the new record is really cool. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks thank you. so much. Thanks for the interview. I really appreciate thanks it. So much. Thanks right for on. having nice us. Nice to meet you. Appreciate nice to meet you too. Lighting up around 7th Street Be sure to keep it way out of sight Unknown from Sons of Bill's record Love and Logic. And like I said before, I'm a fan of interviews that involve multiple band members, but I think this is the first time I've ever talked to members of a band who are also family members. And for me, it added an extra level of interest, an extra level of like band dynamic understanding. I mean, they're so connected, like from birth connected. And and somewhere between tragedy and freedom and live connection, somewhere in there, that's where you find Sons of Bill. I'll post a link to the View House videos of the acoustic performances we captured backstage at Austin City Limits Festival. View House is a place where stations like KUTX and KCRW and KEXP put their best live videos. And I'm doing it so that you too can experience even more of Sons of Bill. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Anderson, David Sanger, and me, Elizabeth McQueen. The Zach Little interview was recorded by Cliff Hargrove, and the Sons of Bill interview was recorded by Jake Perlman. Thanks to Jackie Fuller for interviewing Zach. Jackie does many things at KUTX, including curating our Instagram feed. It's great. It's lovely. And I encourage you to follow KUTX on Instagram because she does a delightful job. You can hear Jack Anderson every Saturday night from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. And thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all their help on this podcast. And yes... It is true. Our theme song is Mahoot by Austin's own excellent hardproof Afrobeat. You can email us at this song at KUTX.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song KUTX. You can follow us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, liner notes, song of the day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes. And like I said, we would love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.